Question. Does the Sabbath matter today? Just think about that for a moment. Do God's commands in the Bible about the Sabbath still hold true for us? Does God require us to go to church on the Sabbath? Are we required to not work on the Sabbath? Different people have different answers for this. Some would say, well, yes, those commands hold true for us today. They would say God commanded the people, His people, not to work on the Sabbath. And the early church maintained uh, these commitments. And therefore, we should do the same. But I think most people would say, well, you know, not, not exactly, not fully, not really. There, there are some exceptions to the rule, if you will. Observing Sabbath by not working and by participating in worship is not as binding as it used to be. And our rationale for this is, you know, varied. One may say, well, that was a commandment that God made to the children of Israel in the Old Testament in the, in the law. And now we have a new law. And now that we're in this new covenant, that, that rule just doesn't apply to us or, you know, it has a little less grip on it. Or maybe we say, well, the rule exists, but now that we have no Jesus and we know God to be a God of grace, it, it pretty much means that we just try to keep the rules. And if we don't, we just say, God, I'm sorry. And we get an excuse, a little pink slip or something like that. After all, we don't want to be legal Pharisees. Amen. Amen. Besides, I can worship God at the coffee shop, in my dorm room, on the golf course, at my home, or my lake home, or just while I'm laying in bed. After all, that's a great place to rest on the Sabbath. I got an amen back there. I heard that. You know, I, I bring this up because our understanding of, of the Sabbath and its binding on us today you know, if we press people hard enough for those questions, it might be just a little fuzzy. We may not know exactly what we believe about the Sabbath, and yet here we are today. No one, well, hopefully not too many people, made you get out of bed and come to church today, did they? But this understanding of the Sabbath was not fuzzy in Jesus' day. For the people of Israel, Sabbath was serious business, and God made sure that they knew it. At least three times in the law, God commands His children, Israel, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, which means you are to do zero work on the Sabbath, and therefore it is also a day of worship. Later on, in the book of Numbers, a man out in the wilderness. They were still in the wilderness. They hadn't reached the promised land. This man was caught gathering wood on the Sabbath. They didn't know what to do. Is this work? Is this not work? I think this is work. I think gathering wood, it qualifies as work. So they put the man in custody and they pray about it. And God tells Moses, well, you've got to put him to death. And so they take him outside the camp and they stone the man. Numbers chapter 15. Now, if that doesn't get the people's attention, then I don't know what will. This sounds harsh, doesn't it? 
But here's the deal. God knows that if His people compromise on this Sabbath command, if His children of Israel out in the wilderness, if they begin to compromise on this one command, then that will set them on a trajectory to destruction. Sabbath had its reasons. You are no longer slaves. I have rescued you, and therefore you will rest every seven days so that you will remember who you are. And when you start working on the Sabbath, you lose who you are. When you lose who you are, you lose who I am. And it won't be but just a few generations before you're no different than any other godless, pagan, idolatrous nation in the world. And you'll be abusing each other. You won't have understanding of justice. God sees where this could go. And so he says, we've got to nip it in the bud. Right here, right now. Sabbath means that you are free. Sabbath keeping requires a lot of faith. Close up business. Don't work at all. Not even gathering firewood. Can I not even mow my yard on the Sabbath? The grass is getting tall. You know, later on when people of Israel were captured and exported across the Babylonian Empire, they looked back upon their sins. How did we get to this place? How is it that we got to this place where we failed to be God's people, where God allowed us to be scattered all over the place? And as they looked back, the prophets reminded them, these are the reasons that you are in the situation you're in. And the bottom line is simply that you did not have faith or trust in God. And that lack of faith and that lack of trust, you can look back and see there are three different kinds of things or more that they did. I'm going to name three. One is they hedged their bets with a backup plan and made idols. God's not going to come through for me. I'll just make sure I have some idols to come through for me. That's lack of trust Reason number one. Number two, they really freaked out when other nations' armies were camping out nearby. And they tried to do everything they could to rely on and build up their own military power rather than trusting in God to fight their battles for them. And number three, the prophet says that they profaned the Sabbath. All three of those reasons are, have to do with faith. They have to do with trusting Trusting that God will provide. Trusting that when we stop gathering arms, when we stop trying to hedge our bets, when we stop working, that God is still working, that God is still providing, that God is still fighting the battles that need to be fought. It's all about a lack of faith. That's where Israel went wrong. And so keeping the Sabbath, therefore, mattered to them. And so in order to keep the Sabbath and to not bring down the judgment of God upon the people again, Israel's religious leaders had to define what is and is not work. Can one lead his donkey to water on the Sabbath? What if the watering hole is five miles away? Is that work? Can one sift out grain on the Sabbath in the wheat fields? Many of these interpretations of the law were not actually Scripture. They're interpretations of Scripture. We call it the tradition. And it's an attempt to fill in the gaps. Why? Because anytime you get a law, there's going to be all kinds of people 
Finding those loopholes. It happens every time. Whether it's a small microcosm of a household or whether it's a whole nation. And so the interpretations help to decide which is and is not work. If gathering wood is considered work, then what else might be? Well, one other rule that had to deal, deal with this on the Sabbath was to do with healing. It, it, can a doctor see a patient on the Sabbath? And there's actually a little bit of debate about this, but really where they came down was if someone is, is basically in critical condition and their life depends on it, then you can provide forms of healing on the Sabbath. But if they're going to be okay till, you know, the day after the Sabbath, then it's considered work. So only in cases where someone's life is in jeopardy was it permitted by the interpretation of the law to heal on the Sabbath. So when Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath, maybe we can now identify with this synagogue leader just a little more. Maybe we can understand where he is coming from. Jesus is doing what, according to tradition and interpretation of the law, is considered unlawful. Perhaps if we were in the room that day, and if we were good church-going folk, and we lived in that world, perhaps we would be a little fuzzy about what's permissible and what's not, even in that day. But Jesus wasn't fuzzy. Jesus knew exactly what to think. Now, Jesus was always going to church on the Sabbath. He was a regular attender and visitor, a guest preacher and teacher. He never, according to what we see in the Bible, actually broke the Sabbath law, but often went against the traditional interpretations of that law. And that's what got him into trouble again and again and again. And he usually did it when that interpretation was standing in the way of the liberating work of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing, that Jesus was announcing, that Jesus was embodying. Jesus is going around, he's casting out demons, he's restoring people to society, people are on the fringes and have been pushed out. He brings them in, he heals people, he raises people from the dead. He's doing all these things at the same time he's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And so you see the kingdom of God, not just being talked about, but the kingdom of God is happening all around Jesus as he walks around Israel. And that kingdom is not going to be put on hold by a few rules and interpretations of the law. So here comes this woman. Bent over for 18 years. Envision with me what that must be like. Staring at the ground. Bound by Satan. And Jesus looks at her. He sees her. Do you know that I cannot find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus initiates a healing except for the Sabbath? Every time Jesus does the initiating... Every time he goes and he sees that person and he goes to heal them, it's on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus heals on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, but that's when people are calling out to him, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. I'm over here, Jesus. But on the Sabbath, Jesus, it's like he has his, his radar on for people to heal. 
Why is that? Why is it that on the Sabbath day especially, Jesus is looking for people to heal? I think it's because Sabbath is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Sabbath is about remembering that we were once slaves, as those Israelites remember, and now we are free. But Sabbath is not just about remembering something in the past. It's also about anticipating something in the future. It's about anticipating the ultimate freedom that we will someday have in the glorious resurrection, in the new heaven and in the new earth, when we will be with Jesus and without ailment, without any binding of Satan, without any restriction. It's an anticipation of ultimate freedom. Jesus looks at the woman and he says, Woman, you are free from your ailment. And then envision with me what that might look like. He walks over to her. And in my mind, he, he, he puts his hand on her hunched over back. He, he puts his hand on her back. He takes his other hand and just places it on her shoulder. And he, he just kind of Slowly leans her up, just like that. This woman bent over, looking down at the ground for 18 years, all of a sudden has a whole new perspective. Woman, you are free. You know, so many angles on this story. Hold this story up, for example, in the light of just the numerous number of women who are rising up to call to justice those who have abused them or those who had been abused in the past. Women are finding themselves empowered to speak up against such abuse and oppression, even when it happened decades ago. But here's Jesus affirming this woman in a day and age when women had less rights than they do today. He heals her. He brings her up. This woman, bound by Satan, bent downward, is now free. Free to worship. It's the first thing she does as she begins to praise God. She's free. Is she free to go to the golf course? Is she free to stay at home? Is she free to mow her yard? That's not the kind of freedom we're talking about. It's not the freedom to do whatever we want to do. It's the freedom that comes with worship. Because ultimate freedom is worship. There's no other freedom like worship freedom. So she praises God and she worships. This woman who was looking down at the ground is now looking up. I just envision her hands up, praising God with her life. And it makes me wonder, are we free today? We live in this country. We talk about the land of the free. But are we free today? A couple of examples. Right now, some family is playing baseball three hours away from here in some tournament. 
They spent gas money in hotel and a couple thousand dollars on travel ball. Some families playing volleyball up in Amarillo. Some families probably playing soccer somewhere else. Are they free? We live in a weird world. What we have done is we've taken something called play, which is meant to be this unselfconscious thing, and we have turned it into work. People are working hard out there on those travel teams. And unfortunately, they're not playing. They're working because someone's identity is based upon that performance. I can't think of any other good reason why to go to such great effort and spend so much money other than someone's identity is based on that kind of performance. We have taken play and we've turned it into work, which means there are forms of slavery out there and they're so much in disguise. Now, I'm not throwing stones on everybody who's on a travel team. Please don't get me wrong. But just think about it. What ways do we tie up identity of ourselves and our children and grandchildren? Is that freedom? Second thing, related. This woman has had this ailment for 18 years. Now, I'm going to, I'm cheating here, okay? I'm just going to cheat on the biblical text. But why not? I, I admitted it so I can do it. Where were you 18 years ago if you were alive? Most of us, I think, were. 18 years ago was August of 2001. I was moving into, Rand and I were moving in, into our home in Wilmore, Kentucky, going to seminary. Little did we know that just in a few weeks, 18 years ago, that two airplanes would fly into two towers in New York City. I remember exactly where I was when it happened and where I was when I learned about it. I can't help but wonder, has our nation been crippled for 18 years? Have we been crippled by fear and anxiety? I recall, I mean, it's hard to believe it was September 11, 2001 was my very first Tuesday class. And I recall walking through the student section, the student building for the next three years. And every time I looked at the TV, it talked about terrorism and war. You had some mass shootings involved in that. Bring the internet up. The rise of all the ways that we can get news. And we are being bombarded by fear-based messages every single day. And I believe that the rise of depression and anxiety in our culture is in part, not in full, but in part because we are out of balance. And all those messages have bent us down. And we are looking at the ground. We are looking at Satan. We are looking at the things that cause fear and anxiety. And it's everywhere. And the the ways that that, that 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 media gets into us, it just, it just slumps us down. And there's this lack of balance between the amount of thoughts we have about how bad the world is 
and how good our God is. And if you think about the world being bad 15 times for every one time you praise God, then your life is out of balance. And you need Jesus to come to you and to say, be free from your ailment and to put his hand on your back and on your shoulder and raise you up to see life as it really is. Because that's what Sabbath really does. Sabbath reorients our minds to what is real and right. We are here to remember and to proclaim a God who is bigger than all this junk that causes fear and anxiety. That's why we're here. We're not here to perform. We're not here to look better than anybody else. I hope you didn't come here today to say, man, I really hope I do well at church today. I really hope I don't strike out at church Hope I don't miss that goal. No. Why? Because you're already loved. Because somebody already gave his life for you. Because somebody has already offered you freedom and redemption. And he says, you are free from your ailment. Oh, that we would not be a people crippled over in fear, but that we would be free to praise and worship our God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just need you to come and heal us today. We need you to come and to lay your hands on us and to speak your words to us. We have opened our hearts and our minds to the messages of performance-driven, anxiety-inducing, fear-based living And we need to remember that we're free. And that you have done everything necessary for us to live in that freedom. So come Holy Spirit. Speak to your sons and daughters of Abraham. Speak now to your sons and daughters. That you made and that you love and that you died for. And let the message of the cross drown out the message of the world as we anticipate your final victory. We are so grateful for all your grace and all your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen.